something I know. All right? I know this without a shadow of a doubt. No one ever wants to be called a coward. It's one of the most despised of all human qualities. And I guarantee you, we will do almost anything to avoid being called a coward. Do you remember when you were in school? Now, for some of you, that's going to be a long time ago, right? And you're really going to have to think back. But maybe a kid would dare you to do something, you know, dare you to do different things. You ever remember getting dared to do something, huh? Come on, really, do you remember that, huh? huh? You, you would do dumb things, stupid things, dangerous things, life-threatening things to avoid the dreaded word chicken. And if just being dared wasn't bad enough, then came the double dog dare. I mean, yeah, triple. See, they invented that after I grew up, Jason. I mean, triple dog is in y'all's generation, but the dreaded double dog dare. Dread. Oh, man, wow. Willie Bill, double dog dare you to jump off the school. Emerson Elementary School. Willie Bill, double dog dare you. My manhood had been called into question. I was a sixth grader. And besides all that, Prissy Foster was watching. Susie Alexander was there. Kathy McFarland, my girlfriend, was there. So what did Willie Bill do? Oh, he, he jumped off the school building. Mom and Dad didn't know that, but I, I did. You know, you know why I did it? It wasn't because I wasn't terrified. I was scared to death. I just didn't want to be a chicken. You know, the flip side of that, we love courageous people, don't we? I mean, we do. And our families, fathers always want their wives and their children to see them as being courageous because that's what heroes are made out of. Usually when we think of courage, we think of death-defying acts, great heroic sacrifices like firemen running into burning buildings and rescuing little bitty babies or, or a soldier who falls on a grenade and takes it for the rest of his battalion. Or we think of a policeman in the line of fire taking a bullet to save a civilian's life. But you know what the truth is? It takes an enormous amount of courage just to face the challenges of everyday life. It takes a whole lot of courage to live and do the right thing. Just think about it. It takes courage just to do the right thing without wimping out. Every day you're making choices. And every day those choices reveal you to either be courageous or a coward. Now, I've been in this series for a few weeks uh, that I've entitled, You Can Make a Difference. It's based on the premise that you can make a difference in the world in which you live in. And I firmly believe that. You can make a difference. I've had many of you come and tell me stories of, of how other people have made a difference in your life and that you believe you're making a difference in your family or your school or where you work. And I'm telling you, you can. You can make a difference. Okay, 18 of you believe that. You can make a difference. You really can. We talked last week that it, that it takes passion to do that. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've got to give everything to God and totally love Him if you're going to... You've, passionate people make a difference in this world. And you've got to be passionate about serving God. 
We learned the week before that that it takes people of integrity. That you know the right thing and you're going to do the right thing in a world where everyone is choosing to do the wrong thing. You're a person of integrity and with that you can make a difference. We also discovered it takes commitment to make a difference and that's where it really begins when you commit your heart to Jesus Christ. But church understand underlying all of these other things is the quality of courage. Because it takes courage to make a difference in our world. You can only change the world if you are a changed person. Changed people change the world. You can't change the world if you're just trying to imitate the world. Oh, that's good, man. You can't change the world just by blending in. You never change the world if all you do is go with the flow and swim downstream. No, the bottom line is this. If I want to make a difference, I must be willing to be different. To make a difference, I must be different. Now, if I am different than everybody else in the world, am I going to be criticized? You better believe it. Are people going to make fun of me? Are they going to tell jokes about me? Am I going to be questioned? You better believe it. But to make a difference, I must be different. And I guarantee you, when you stand up and you become different than the rest of the world, the world is going to heave it on you, man. You're going to have all kinds of trouble. You're going to have all kinds of problems. And you're going to have tribulation. In fact, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, in the world... You will have tribulation. Now he knew what he was talking about because uh, nobody received more tribulation than Jesus. And Jesus knew that as a follower of him, if he faced trouble, guess what? As a follower of Jesus, you're going to face trouble too. And I'm here to tell you, as a believer, as a Christian, mark it down, count on it, you're going to have trouble. You will have tribulation. But you know what? Even besides that, beyond that, not just that you're a Christian, you're going to have tribulation. Everybody in this world has trouble. I mean, that's what this, this world is all about. It's about trouble. You had trouble since the day you were born. I mean, you know, we should have been smart enough to figure it out. How did you enter the world? The first thing that happened to you when you came out of your mother's womb is some guy slapped you. <laughs> you know? And it hasn't gotten much better, has it? You've been slapped around all of your life. Well, that's just the world. That's the way the world treats people, even its own. You're going to have tribulation, Jesus said, but notice what he said next. But take courage. In the New King James and even the King James, it says, be of good cheer. Put your chin up. I love this translation. It says, take courage, because that's what it takes to face the world. It takes courage. Now, where does that courage, do you just muster that courage up? Or do you just automatically all of a sudden become a person? No, you just don't automatically become a person of courage. Jesus said, you take courage because I have overcome the world. Now, mark that down and hang on to it. The only way we can have courage is through the power of Jesus Christ. Okay, We'll come back to that at the end of the sermon, but get it right now. The way I have courage is through the power of of God. Today I want to get real practical and look at how can I live more courageously. I want to suggest three practical ways 
that you can develop courage in your life on a daily basis. The Bible tells us we can be courageous by owning up, by standing up, and by speaking up. And yes, those are my three points, all right? First of all, I show courage by owning up to my own sin. Now, last week we talked about passion, didn't we? Passionate people make a difference in this world. I talked to you about being passionate about Jesus Christ, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, being passionate as you follow Him. But I also told you that the number one passion killer, the one thing that will suck passion and joy out of your life faster than anything else is unconfessed sin. It will destroy your life. I want to pick up on that concept of of sin this morning. By telling you to be courageous, you have to own up to your own sin. And I carefully chose the word sin because it is the word that we love to avoid. You don't, in fact, you're getting real uncomfortable right now, me just talking about it. You're you're starting to sweat. You're you're afraid we've had secret agents out all week and and have written some of the stuff down you've been doing, taking pictures. We're about to show it up on the big screen. No, no, no. we're not, but you're scared, you know. We, We will call sin anything other than what it is. We call it a blooper or a blunder or a character defect or a flaw in our temperament or an oversight or a lack of good judgment. But I'm here to tell you the Bible calls it sin. So say it out loud with me. One, two, three. Sin. Say it one more time and really mean it. Sin. And the Bible tells us we've all sinned. Now you think I'm about to quote that famous verse that says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not the verse I'm going to quote. It's a good one. It tells us we've all sinned. But try 1 John 1, 8 on for size. This says, if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In other words, he's saying this, if you say you haven't sinned, the only person you're kidding is yourself. You're not kidding anybody else. You don't kid anybody else when you claim perfection. All you're doing is kidding yourself, because I guarantee you, everybody around you knows you're not perfect, man. In fact, the Bible says, if you say that, I have not sinned, the truth is not in you. In other words, you're not being honest with yourself. You are deceiving your own self. You're lying to your own inner being. We're not being honest. We're not telling the truth. But oh, I'm going to tell you, we hate to admit we were wrong, don't we? From little kids on to senior adults, we just hate to admit our sin. The, 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 the reason behind that is because the root sin is the sin of pride. It's, it's the root sin that, that surfaced in heaven. It was pride on the part of Lucifer that caused him to, to, to bring the revolt into heaven and had him cast out of heaven. It is the root of all sin. But another reason we hate to admit our own sin is because we are afraid of what other people will think about us. If we admit that we failed or made a mistake, that we've sinned, or that we have fallen short of God's standard. But you know what the truth is in actuality? Being able to be honest about your sin to say, you know what, I was wrong, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? That is a mark of emotional and spiritual health. 
And beyond that, it is a mark of courage. Because, I mean, it takes courage to do that. There are grown men, as old as I am, who have never been able to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sure there are people sitting here in this room right now this morning who have never been able to utter those words. You have never been able to say, I have sinned. Why? Because we just don't like to own up to our own sin. Let me ask you a question. What is it in your life that you are afraid of? To own up to. Just for an illustration, maybe this. What is it in your marriage that you haven't owned up to? And so you keep blaming the people in your family for it. You keep blaming your husband or your wife or your kids when it's your problem. Let me tell you what the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his own sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will have Mercy. So that tells me denial does not work. You can wear a mask for a little bit and pretend that you haven't failed, that you haven't messed up, that you haven't sinned. You can wear the mask for a little bit, but in the long run, denial doesn't work. This inability to own up to personal sin and responsible responsibility is the great destroyer of marriages of relationships, of careers, of families, and of lives. The inability to say, you know what, that was my fault. I was wrong. I'll take blame for that. Would you please forgive me? That has ruined more marriages than you can possibly imagine. And and you know who who is the world's worst at doing that? Guys. Guys, I want to pick on you for a minute. We are. We're, we're horrible at that. I mean, we, we find that very difficult to do. I mean, if a man is, is with his family on a family vacation, they're on a trip, and he gets lost, is he going to admit that he's lost? No, no, never, man. I, hey, I, I know exactly where I wanted to take you on the scenic route, you know? That's what we... <laughs> Got you, man. Well, why am I talking about this? I mean, we're in a series on making a difference in our world, and I'm talking about personal sin. How does that relate? Well, you know what? Courage is when I own up to my own sin. Courage begins when I am honest with God, first of all, and say, you know what, Lord, I have sinned. I am guilty. Forgive me. It takes courage to admit that to people that we've wronged. To own our own sin. But you know what? When you do it, you're released. God releases you. He forgives you. And I guarantee you, if you go to family members that you've done wrong to, and you confess that and admit that to them, and you own up to your own sin, they will love on you and forgive you as well. We we only make a difference when we're honest with ourselves. You say, you know what? These are my strengths, but you know what? These are my weaknesses as well, and I own up to them. The Apostle Paul did that. He said, I'm the chief among all sinners. So when are we going to quit playing games and own our own sin? Number two, I show courage by standing up for what is right. Now, I've already talked about this a little bit 
in the terms of integrity, but I'm going to take a, a right-hand turn here and talk about standing up for what is right in a different way this morning. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 out of the New Living Translation says, Stay true to what you believe. Can I hear a big hearty amen for that verse? Stay true to what you believe. Stay true to what you've been taught. Stay true to what the Bible teaches. You stay true to what you believe. Be courageous and be strong. Today, very few Christians are willing to stand up for what is right. We, we are unwilling to be courageous and stand up for what we believe and be strong. In a world where tolerance is valued more than truth, where people even doubt the existence of whether or not there is absolute right and absolute wrong. And the whole of our society says, what is good for you may not be good for me. Most Christians are afraid to stand up for the truth. We're afraid that, that we might be labeled narrow-minded or prejudiced or judgmental or old-fashioned or out-of-date or bigoted or being politically incorrect and so we're afraid to do it in fact let me let me just ask you a question this past week I'm sure where you work or in your neighborhood maybe in your own family somewhere in your life I'm sure you saw somebody do the wrong thing I'm sure that you saw somebody do wrong now you knew it was wrong but you didn't say anything about it you remained silent. You didn't speak up. You, you didn't point their wrong out. You did not confront them in love. You just remained silent. Probably in your mind you were thinking this. How do I know what you were thinking? Because I've thought the exact same thing. I know that's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. But who am I to judge? Do you understand the contradiction between those statements? I know it's wrong. But who am I to speak up? I know what they're doing is messing up their life, but you know what? It's really none of my business. It's not my life. I'll just be quiet. It is not my responsibility. Are you sure about that? Are you sure it's not your responsibility? I'm about to make you real uncomfortable. You know, Ronnie, what amazes me is y'all pay me good money to make y'all feel uncomfortable, man. You know, that's part of my job, though. Sometimes I, I need to make you feel uncomfortable because it, the Bible makes me uncomfortable sometimes. And, and when it comes to this, this part about being responsible for other people's lives and, and what they do and warning them, it is our business. I mean, remember read to you a passage I read just the other day in my morning devotions, Ezekiel chapter 3. I'm going to throw verse 18 up on the board here in a second, but I'm going to start in verse 17. God says to Ezekiel, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. You are the watchman for these people. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning for me. Now you may think, because this is the Old Testament, this is just God telling his prophet to do this. This is just God telling Ezekiel, Ezekiel, this is your job. You're to be a watchman. You are to be my voice, my mouth, my spokesperson. But I'm here to tell you, church, this is for you as much as it was for Ezekiel. We are the hands of God. We are the feet of God. We are the voice of God. 
So what he told Ezekiel holds true for us. And this is what he told him in verse 18. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that some, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Now, church, let me tell you something. That, that verse is one of the most sobering verses in the Bible to me. That verse sends a chill up and down my spine because the Bible says this. If I know the truth and I know the difference between right and wrong and I see somebody else out there messing up their life, I mean, they're just blowing it and they're doing the wrong thing and I don't say anything to them. I don't warn them. I don't share with them the consequences of their wrong action. Then you know what? God is going to hold me responsible for their soul. God says when I know the difference between right and wrong and I don't do anything about it, it's wicked. I'm being evil. Now all of us in this room know people right now who are messing up their lives. Every one of us know people destroying their lives because they're ignoring God, they're ignoring God's will, and they're walking down the wrong road. And if you claim to be a believer, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there are going to be times in your life when out of love, you've got to care enough about that person to confront them. But let me tell you, you do it out of love. That's the only way it's going to work. It's when you tell them out of love, confront them out of love. There will be times when you say to that friend or that family member, to that spouse, to that parent, to that child, to that grandchild, somebody that you care about, listen to me, listen to me, I love you. And I need to tell you, you're blowing it. You're making a major mistake in your life right now. You're on the wrong path. And I love you too much to sit by and watch you destroy your life. And because I care about you and I love you, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. If you see somebody doing something wrong and you don't confront them, let me tell you, you're not much of a friend. And understand this, church, that's the job God has, God has given to each one of us. Our job is to warn them. The very next verse goes on to say, and if that wicked man does not heed the warning, if that wicked man does not listen to the truth, and they die in their wickedness, then you know what? They've destroyed their own life. But you know what, Ezekiel? I'm not going to hold you accountable for that because you've done your job. Your job is to warn them. Their response is up to them and me. Your job is just to warn. You know, sometimes love is tough. Isn't it? Love cares enough to confront. And so you go ahead and say, I'm not going to stand on the sidelines and remain silent anymore because I love you too much for that. It, it, it may make you mad when I tell you this. It may offend you when I bring this up. It may put a strain on our relationship. But you know what? I care more about you than I care about what you think about me. And so you warn them. Thank God 
I've had some people in my life who have loved me enough and cared for me enough to confront me in love and say, Will, you're going down the wrong path, dude. Now let me tell you, when people tell me that, I don't like it. Boy, just something, something just kind of swells up inside of me and I start thinking, who in the world are you? God did this to me when I was at Hillsdale, a, a youth pastor of the church I went to. I'd, I'd done some things on a Friday night that, I mean, it wasn't, don't get, you're freaking out now. It wasn't bad. I mean, it was, in, in today's terms, it wasn't a bad thing. But you know what? It was going down the wrong road. And, and I, was, I, I, was, I was being a bad influence on some younger guys in high school. And so he came to Hillsdale one day and he confronted me. And he said, in the parking lot, he said, he got in my grill and he said, Will, you know I love you. And I said, yeah, Mike, I know you love me. He says, I want to confront you about some of the things you did and said in front of these teenage boys the other night. And I, I, I just bowed back and I thought to myself, dude, who in the world do you think you are? I'm a preacher boy. But he was right. Thank, thank God people have loved me enough to care about me, to confront me when I'm going down the wrong path. These two right down here, they did it all my life for 18 years. And then they gave the gauntlet to this lady on the front row. Some, I mean, sometimes I think she takes joy in the job. I, you know. Did you know what? Thank God that that I've loved other people enough to confront them. It's uncomfortable when you do that. It's not, it's not fun when you do that. But you know what? You love them enough to care. Let's say tonight I get a phone call from, uh, from the hospital. One, one of my church members has uh, had something happen there in the hospital, and so I go to Mercy or, or I go to Sparks, and, and I spend mo most of the night there. And, and let, let's say it's like 2 o'clock in the morning when I finally start heading back home and and I turn on my street turn left on Cary Lane and and I look down the street and I see flames coming out of my house flames coming out of of my roof you know let me tell you panic mode's gonna set in and I'm gonna I'm gonna goose that Chevy pickup and I'm gonna just drive it right up to that house as fast as I can slam on the brakes throw her and park and jump out and I don't care how much of the house is being consumed with flames I'm going in that house because I've got two people in there that I love with all of my heart. And I'm going to do everything I can to save them. No fires are going to stop me from doing that. No flames are going to stop me from doing that. No smoke is going to stop me from at least trying to save them. The news might call me a hero. The fire department might call me crazy. But you know what? I don't care what people say or what they think. I love them. And love demands that I do something. It takes courage, guys. It takes courage to stand up for what is right and to confront the people you love with the truth. Number three, I show courage when I speak up for Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. We, we sang about that in a song just a while ago. I love that verse. God, that, that thing you're afraid of, that thing that, that scares you, that fear you have in your life, that didn't come from God. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. 
I love the New Century Version. It says, don't be ashamed to tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed to be a witness. Don't be ashamed to tell other people the plan of salvation. But, but many of you are thinking, well, you know, I know I need to tell my friends and my co-workers, my family members about Christ, but I'm, I'm just not qualified. I mean, I, I still haven't read the Bible all the way through. I haven't memorized all the verses. I'm not a Bible teacher. I haven't gone to Bible college. I can't do that. I don't know enough to tell people about Jesus. Can I give you the Greek on that? Baloney. <laughs> Baloney. Do you know enough to say, hey, God loves you and Jesus died for you? Yeah, you know that much. God loves you and Jesus died for you. Church, this isn't rocket science. You can say that. You can tell that family member or that friend or that neighbor or that co-worker, Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. And beyond that, God's got a purpose for your life. God's got a plan for you. On top of that, people don't really need your knowledge anyway. I like what old John Maxwell used to say. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so you love them. You love them. What they need is your love anyway. You, you can never argue anybody into heaven. Yeah? You love them into heaven. You express love for people. And you build a bridge between your heart and their heart with love. And you let Jesus walk across that bridge. He's the one who's going to change their life. All you have to do is tell them that God loves them. And let me tell you, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to do that. You've just got to love people. Speak up for Him. Have courage to witness. And care about the souls of people. I told the people in the first service about uh, one of my jobs I had when I was 15 years old. I went to work for Hester True Value Hardware Store in Lubbock, Texas. I was only 15 years old, but I was, I was, I was working, I don't know, 30, 35 hours a week. It, it, that wasn't my first job either. I, I, I really went to work when I was just a little bitty kid. That's how mean my parents were, you know. Child labor laws, let's throw them out the window, you know. I mean, I, I worked because I wanted to work and because my dad told me, son, if you're going to have a car, you're going to pay for your own car. So I went to school half a day, worked half a day. My, my, my second outside job, other than being a paper boy, I threw newspapers when I was a little bitty kid, but then, then I worked at a supermarket. That was the hardest thing I ever had done as a stock boy. Then I went to work for Hester True Value Hardware Store. Mom and Pop Hardware Store uh, there in Lubbock, Texas on 34th Street. Hester's had owned that store forever. It wasn't a real big store, but I'm telling you, they had everything in that store you could need. If something broke at your house, you could come in and, and we would have the part for you. They hired me when I was 15 years old. And uh, they were patient with me. They, they taught me the hardware business. And, and uh, one of the things they did there at Hester's was if, if you had a, a broken window pane, and most of them back then were, were wooden frames there were some aluminum frames but most of them are wooden you could bring your wooden frame in with the broken pane and we would replace the glass in your wooden frame uh, you know you had to cut the the putty out the dap out and and take the old glass out and cut a new piece of glass and and put it in with the pins and then redap it and 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 I was trained to do that 15 years old I was I was I was doing that man I could I could do that we also went out for service calls 
So if you didn't want to bring your, your broken window frame in, we'd, we'd go to your house and we'd, we'd do it for you. you know, that was a long time ago, man. Was, like in 1976, we were doing that. Service calls. You had to have tenure in the company before you could go on a service call. And so when I turned 16, I got my license, and, and I'll never forget the first day Mr. Hester let me go out on a service call. I got the keys to the 1971 green Chevrolet pickup. Short, wide bed, had a 350 engine with 350 turbo transmission. It would squall the tires. I waited till I was three blocks away before I goosed it, man. But man, I, that was awesome, dude. I'd been out on a few service calls, and it was in the middle of summertime, and, and, uh, and they asked me to go to this, uh, this, uh, this place, and I had three broken windows to replace. It was all on rental property this old man had owned. And so I got there to the job site, and nobody was there. Nobody was at the house. The owner wasn't there. And so I started working on one of the windows. Before long, this, this old man pulled up, got out and came over and introduced himself. I'd seen him in the store before. He even knew my name. He called me Will when, when he came up. So he had met me in the store, and he owned the, the, the houses there that I was working on. And, and we just started a conversation. This old man, he was, just, he was talking to me. He found out all about me, just carrying on a, a great little conversation. And then right in the middle of it, he said, Will, how long have you been doing that? Fixing those broken glasses. I said, oh, not long. He says, man, you're doing a great job. You, you, you really got a knack for it. I, I didn't, man. I was, I, I was horrible. And I come to, come to find out this old guy could have done that with his eyes closed. I mean, he, but he wanted me to be there. We got to talking on. and He said, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd never wish this on you. I sure hope this doesn't happen. But you're, you're you know, you're, you're playing with some dangerous stuff there, Will. He said, for, for example, what, what, ha what would happen if, if your hand slipped and that jagged piece of glass sliced your wrist? And I wasn't here, nobody was around, and, and you bled out and died right here. What, what would happen, Will, if you got in that green pickup over there that Mr. Hester owns, and you're headed back to the store, and somebody runs a red light and hits you broadside and kills you? Will, I'm just wondering, where would you spend eternity if that happened to you? I said, sir, I'd go to heaven. He said, really? T tell me about it. How do you know you'd go to heaven, son? I accepted Jesus when I was six years old. I've been saved, been baptized. I'm doing my best to live for him. He said, well, praise the Lord. That's great. And then we had a whole other conversation. That happened a long time ago, Stacy. But you know what? I'll never forget it. It's like it happened yesterday. Because that old man made it his business to tell a punk 16-year-old kid that Jesus loved him. I've wondered since then how many hundreds or thousands of people did that man witness to in his life. It takes courage to do that, guys. It takes courage to open your mouth and tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. You know what? God has called us to that task. That's our job, to love people and to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to use you. God wants to use you in this world. God wants to use you in this world right now. And He will if you are willing to stand up for what is right and if you are willing to speak up for Jesus Christ. You know what to do.
I mean, you know. You know what to do. You already know all this stuff. None of this is new to you. No, the real issue is this. Where are you going to get the courage to do it? Where are you going to get the courage to stand up when you need to stand up and to speak up when you need to speak up? Well, I'm going to finish this message with just three keys, three steps. These three things you can do every day that will ratchet up your courage. They can stoke the fires of confidence in you. They can build the courage in your heart so that you can be a world changer. What do you do? Number one, you go public with your faith. No more are you going to be a secret follower of Jesus Christ. Stop being a secret agent disciple. Say right now today, you know what? I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of my Savior. I'm telling the whole world. I'm stepping across the line. I'm in the family. I've joined the army. I'm in the fold. I am not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, you do it. You just, you go public with your faith. Put put a Bible on your desk. Carry a Bible in your backpack. But more than that, live the life. Walk the walk and talk the talk. One way you can do that if you've never done it is you, just, you be baptized. You follow Jesus in baptism. That's what it is. It's testifying that Jesus has saved you. I'll never forget the, the little kid who asked me one time, when can I get advertised? That's what baptism is. It's advertisement for Jesus. So number one, go public with your faith. Number two, you pray for courage. You pray for boldness. The apostle Paul did that. He wrote to one of his churches and said, Hey, you guys pray and ask God to give me the right words so that I may boldly tell other people about Jesus Christ. So we go public with our faith. We pray for boldness. And then number three, expect God to use you. You just wake up every morning expecting God to use you. The Bible says be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you just go in confidence knowing that God is going to use you to stand up for what is right and to speak up for the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is this. Do you have enough courage today to step across that line and to live for the Lord? To make a difference. It takes courage. I told the first service, Friday night was a great night, man. Uh, I really enjoyed what uh, we were able to do as a, as a church Friday night. Um, the entire Greenwood football team, the high school football team, along with coaches, many of the coaches' wives, and the trainers, uh, loaded up in two buses and drove from Greenwood to 2825 Grinnell. Does anybody know where 2825 Grinnell is? It's right here, man. They, they drove into this parking lot. They unloaded those two buses and we got to feed the, the high school football team on Friday night. It was a bye week for us. And so uh, he, he brought them up here. Coach Jones brought the team up here. And we fed them. Miss, Miss Camilla and Miss Angie fixed a great meal for them. Many of you were here helping serve these uh, football players. But the coolest part of the whole night for me was after they ate that cheesecake that they had. <laughs> Coach Jones got up and said, all right, guys, everybody into the worship center. Pastor Will's got a word for you. And all the coaches and players came in here, and some of them are here today. Some of these guys are here, and, and it's cool, man. All, all the team was right here. And I got to share with them the good news of the Bible. 
That was awesome. I really prayed beforehand, Lord, what, what should I talk to these guys about? And uh, that, Russ, without a doubt, he, just, he directed me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. He said, talk to him about, about David and Goliath. How that young man, 15-year-old boy, who was a sophomore, <laughs> high school, 15-year-old kid, faced a giant. He said, will you talk to those guys about that? Because you know what? They're going to be facing giants the rest of their life. Right now, these guys think they're, they're giants or they're opponents, you know, like Marion this next week, or if we win enough, it's going to be a Pine Bluff zebra. And those are giants that these guys have to face. But you know what? There are bigger giants out there that, that they will face. I mean, you face giants every day of your life. Now, how do you do it? How can you face a giant and beat the giant? Well, that was David's task, 15-year-old kid. He was facing Goliath of Gath. A giant who was over nine feet tall. He was the Terminator on steroids, man. I mean, this guy was bad. He had his PhD in assault and battery. He was bad to the bone. And here's this 15-year-old kid facing this giant. But David faced the giant and was victorious. How did he do that? I had two points. Number one, he had a can-do attitude. I mean, you go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 17. It is amazing the attitude that that young man had. And I'm here to tell you, your attitude determines your altitude. It really does. He had a great attitude. He, he had a can-do attitude. He told King Saul, he says, Hey, I have faced both a lion and a bear. Both a lion and a bear have come to steal my dad's sheep and when they would take the lamb, I would go, and I, I have fought both the lion and the bear, and that uncircumcised Philistine is no bigger than a lion or a bear. I got this, man. Can do. But it's amazing. It wasn't a cocky can-do attitude. Miss Cheryl, you don't like cocky kids, do you? I mean, you know, I mean, cocky, cockiness kind of turns me off. He had a can-do attitude, but it wasn't cocky. He had a can-do attitude because he was serving a God who could. He, he said, you know what, giant, Goliath, you, you've, you've come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, God of the host of Israel. The battle is the Lord's. And this day, God is going to defeat you and all the Philistines. Can-do with God. That's the attitude we need to have, guys. Can you make a difference in this world? Really, can, can one person make a difference in this world? Can you make a difference in your family? Can you make a difference in your school? Can you make a difference in your neighborhood? Can you make a difference in the church? I believe one person can. But it takes courage. It begins when you own up to your own sin. You quit kidding yourself and blaming everybody else and you come to an altar like this and you just bow down and say, Lord, I've sinned. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? At that moment, His grace comes into your life and He will change you from the inside out. And from that point on, you can stand up and do the right thing. You can stand up, and, and, and when a brother or sister is messing up, and you see them messing up, you can go to them and say, Jason, I love you, man, and it is out of love that I'm telling you, you're messing up your life. 
and I don't want you to mess up your life. So would you listen to me and you love people and you share with them the good news. You speak up for Jesus Christ. Every day you get out of bed and say, Lord, who, who can you bring into my life today that I get to share the good news with? And you live with courage. Can do with God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless everyone in this room today and, and give us, dear Lord, the courage we need to own up to our own sins, to stand up for what is right, and to speak up for Jesus Christ. And Lord, whatever, whatever my friends are dealing with in their own heart this morning, I pray, dear Lord, that you would uh, just give them the courage to come to the altar and ask for your help. I know, Lord, people in this room are, are struggling with all kinds of issues and problems. Lord, help them to realize they don't have to carry that burden by themselves. They can come and give it to you. And I pray that that would happen in this room right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Praise team is going to sing. These altars are open, and I encourage you to come and pray. Right now, bring your trouble and your problems, your lack of courage to the Lord, and He'll do something.